Good morning again. Good to be back with you again th- this week. Um, thankfully, with an extra hour of time that I didn't have last Sunday. Um, so feeling a little bit better. Got down here in good shape, even though the Lincoln Bridge is closed. I already knew that. I didn't go the wrong way. Um, just came across on 18 and made my way down here in, in good time. Bonnie and I are glad to be with you again. We had a wonderful time last week. We were remarking on the, on the way home what, how, how wonderful it is for us to be worshiping together after 37 and a half years of being a pastor and not getting to sit with my wife. Uh, since I've retired, it has been a joy to be able to sit with my wife and be a worshiper. And I've done that today. We did that last week. And I want to thank you for that. It's also a joy to come and share God's word with you again this week. And um, I want to be an encouragement to you, as I tried to be last week, to encourage you about the things that are going on in your lives, in your community, in your church, to be willing to look at them through biblical eyes, to look at those things and think about those things with the with a, a reminder, constant reminder about what God has invested in you. Did you ever think about that? What has God invested in you individually? What does God have invested in you as a corporate body, part of the body of Christ here in Northminster? And what does it say to know that? And what does it tell us about how much I, you, we mean to him. I'm going to take you to the New Testament this week. Last week I was in Psalm 145. This week we're going to go to the New Testament. Hope you have your Bible with you. Turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin at verse 35 and read through the end of the chapter in just a moment. First of all, let me set the stage for you. Jesus has been teaching his disciples and everyone else that will learn about the kingdom of God. What does it take to get into the kingdom, for one thing? You know, it doesn't take being a good person. It, takes be, it, doesn't, you, it doesn't take being rich. It doesn't take being famous. It doesn't take any of those kinds of things. It takes something more like what we sometimes cast aside and forget. In his last great illustration of what that means, Jesus has told his disciples and all who listen, including us, that um, we need to have a childlike attitude, a childlike trust in God. That's what will get us where we need to be. And after predicting his death again, telling them about his crucifixion, which is the ultimate means by which we come into the presence of God and into his family, Jesus continues on his journey. And as they, uh, they journey, they come to the ancient city of Jericho. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, guess who they were? 
the disciples. They rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more over and over again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What a question. What do, we, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see he replied. And Jesus said to him, then receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is his word for us today. May his Holy Spirit speak to us clearly that we might know his will and his way in these and all things. Amen. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, we need your mercy today. We need you to speak to us in ways that we can comprehend and grasp and apply. And sometimes we are too tired or too distracted or too busy or simply too dull of mind and spirit that we neither hear nor do. I pray, O oh Lord, that I will hear and speak and do, and that each person here will hear and speak and do those things which are pleasing to you and which promote your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things we notice about the, the gospel stories, one of the powerful things we, we note about Jesus is um, who he likes to spend time with. Sometimes it's not a lot of time, but whenever Jesus spends time with someone, something significant happens. Sometimes he spends time, whether we like it or not, with the Pharisees, with his opponents, and something significant happens. Sometimes hearts are changed. Sometimes people are set on edge and sometimes people are pushed to betraying Jesus. But most of the time, Jesus likes to spend his time with the down and outers, the people who are having issues. And in reality, isn't it true that that's all of us? Anybody in here have no issue whatsoever you're dealing with this morning? If you tell me, if you say you do, I want to know your secret because I'm going to write a book about it and sell it and make a million dollars, okay? And we all have issues, just some of them are greater than others and sometimes when we peer into the lives of other people, we sometimes think our issues are greater than theirs or theirs are greater than ours. But the fact of the matter is we all have issues and within our, our set of issues that we have, there always seems to be at least one thing that challenges us, that bothers us, that causes us the most consternation. The thing that we think, if only this would change, this one thing would change in my life, everything else would begin to fall into place. I want you to think about that one thing as I share God's word with you this morning.
Because at the end, I'm going to ask you to share that with God if you haven't done so already. One of the wonderful things we see about Jesus is he is never afraid to engage people on his way to someplace else. You think he's busy, and he is. He's busy. He's heading up to Jerusalem. He's heading up to an appointment, unbeknownst to Zacchaeus, but he's heading up to an appointment with Zacchaeus. That's why he's come to Jericho, even though Zacchaeus doesn't know know that. But the fact is, here as he even enters Jericho is a man, and Jesus knows he's there, but the man himself doesn't know what's about to happen to him. This is a man who has great despair in his life. If you don't know it already, let me tell you about the life of someone who is blind or had any other severe limiting illness in that day and time. They were virtually on their own. Unless they had a very understanding family, they were pretty much left to themselves. So here's a man who spends every day begging for what it's going to take to feed him, to clothe him, to house him, not seeing who is around him, not seeing his contributors, or maybe those who stole from him. That wouldn't necessarily be a surprise that someone would come up and try to take something out of wherever he had was keeping the gifts that he had been given. And he had this one thing. He had lots of things. He had things that separated him from other people. He had things that separated him from from the the crowd. He had things that bothered him. He had things that he thought about that, that maybe no one else had thought about. But he had this one thing, this one thing that if it could be dealt with, would completely change his life and everything else would fall into place or at least begin to. And he brings that to Jesus' attention. In the midst of his despair, and Jesus loves to be with people who are despairing, not because he likes to watch them grovel, because he likes to see them changed. He wants to see them heal. But in the midst of of his despair, Jesus comes. And wherever you are despairing today, even if you just think it's just a little bit, Wherever that one thing exists in your life, let me simply tell you, wherever despair leads to some kind of commotion, some kind of disturbance, some some kind of movement and upset in your life and the lives of those around you, then you can expect Jesus to show up. The question is, how will you greet him? This is so wonderful, such a typical biblical story that that this man is completely ignored, like Zacchaeus is going to be ignored by the crowd, in fact, shunned by the crowd. This man is just ignored. He has no idea what's going on. He simply hears a commotion, and he simply tugs on someone's sleeve and says, hey, what's happening? What's going on here? Well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus is coming down the road. He's he's going to be going into our city. We have no idea what he's going to do, but we know what kind of reputation he has. And the man's first thought is what? Well, I don't want to bother him. He's obviously on his way to someplace else. 
No, that isn't his first thought, is it? What's his first thought? Mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out so loudly and so often that people tell him to shut up. But the more they tell him, the more he calls out over and over again until it reaches both the heart and ears of Jesus. And over the objections of those around him, including his disciples, whom you think would know better by now, Jesus says, bring him to me. We're going to have a moment here. And when the man comes, when he's led, he stands before Jesus and Jesus simply says, so, what is it you want me to do for you? Seems sort of like a cruel and obvious question, doesn't it? The guy is obviously blind, right? But it's not a cruel and obvious question. It is Jesus digging down to the depth of what is really needful in this man's life. And he answers honestly. He simply says, Lord, I want to see. Everything will be changed if I can just see. My relationships, my community, my hope, everything will be changed. I want to see. We have to admire the man because oftentimes when we have things that go on in our lives, even those things that, that seem to be uh, that one thing that I'm trying to make sure you're thinking about while doing the sermon while still paying attention to me, we seem to think we don't want to bother God with that. Maybe this is my cross to carry. Maybe. Probably not. Or it's not a big enough thing for God to deal with when he's got all kinds of other problems like, like famine and, and disease and, and world war. But I want you to see that Jesus comes for the individuals as well as for the whole world. He comes for you and for me as well as for this entire world. So when you hear God calling to you, as perhaps you are this very moment through his word and spirit, remember that a cry for mercy always gets God's attention. When we pray, we should call out for mercy because we all need God to be merciful to us. We all have weaknesses and shortcomings and sins in our lives that need to be, need to be forgiven. We have things in our lives that we need to, to have his strength we need mercy. We should always call upon God for mercy as we pray, even as we praise him, even as we worship him, even as we thank him. And when God does that, we need to admit. We need to admit what we really need. You can be honest with God. For one thing, the best reason to be honest with God is he's no, he knows when you're not. He knows when you're not. You can almost imagine God, when oftentimes when we pray, say, is that all you want? Are you not getting it? Do you not understand? I want to take care of bigger stuff too. 
If the biggest problem you've got in your prayer life is praying for Aunt Flossie's ingrown toenail, then you are not recognizing the deeper needs in your own life and in the life of your community and your church. Think about those things. Admit what what need you really have because that puts us in a right position with Jesus. The blind man was in the right position with Jesus. He knew Jesus could do something about it. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew about his reputation for being able to heal people. And so he puts himself in the right position with Jesus. He has praised him. He submits to him. He is honest with him. And guess what Jesus does? Jesus answers his prayer. After all, Jesus has asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus asked you that question today, what, what would you say? I know a lot of people who would say something like, man, if I could just have $500 million, I'd be doing great. I could solve all kinds of problems. But ask the people who have won the lottery and see if all that money has helped them or if it has hurt them. If I could just have this, if I could just have that, rather than screwing down onto what is really at issue, when God asks that question, I believe he asks it of of us every day. This man simply says, I want to be seen. I want to see like everybody else does. And guess what Jesus says? He says, okay, I'll do that for you. And he says two things to him, and we need to hear both of them. He says, first of all, receive your sight. It is a command that Jesus has here. He doesn't say, when you get around to it, when you go home, whatever it happens to be, whenever you feel like it, when it's more appropriate, when you go see your doctor. He says, receive it now. And then he says something else, and this this is a key thing for us to understand. Your faith in me has made you well. You've come to the right place with the right attitude and you've asked for the right thing. And when we do that, God answers those prayers. But that's not all we want to see in this story. Because once he receives the sight, it says immediately he came on the sight. And what does he do immediately thereafter? Jesus responds immediately to his request. He immediately receives the sight. And what happens immediately? He follows Jesus. Not just to the edge of town. He follows the the term there. The word there describes a continuous work that he does. Jesus is going, he's going to stay on Jesus' heels. And he's going to praise God. And because of that, because of the change in his life and the fact that he demonstrates this, this gratitude and praises God, other people see Jesus for who he is, and they praise God too. He becomes a witness to God's mercy and grace. Have you been thinking about that question about your own life? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Have you been thinking about it? I hope you have. Now, if I was in a church that fills with some of my more charismatic and Pentecostal brethren, I would come out with a microphone and ask you to tell me what you want to do. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to leave that between you and Jesus. Okay? But what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want him to do for your family, your marriage? What do you want him to do for your church? What do you want him to do for your church? It's okay to ask. What do you want him to do? And keep on doing. Ask yourself these questions if you want to make sure that you're getting down to the right thing. Because again, we can ask for all kinds of things. When it comes to our church families, one of the things we can ask for is, you know, you know, Lord, I'd, I'd really like to see all of our pews and all of our seats filled. That would be, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. And I think God would be honored by that. But oftentimes there's more in the life of our, of our church and there's more of our life in, in the life of our marriages and our families than just those sort of easily perceptible little statistical and logistical things. They're heart issues. So I want you to ask yourselves before you get a final answer and take it to him. What in your life do you think gets his attention most right now? What in your life? Doesn't necessarily have to be a sin. It might be a weakness. It might be a fear. It might be a discouragement. It might be dismay. It can be a myriad of things. What do you think gets God's attention in your life right now? When he peers into your life, as God does, and he peels away the, the layers of things that we try to hide behind, what does he see? What is it? I could tell you about mine, and I have probably two or three of them, but I'd say the, the, one, the one thing is, is the breakdown of my physical body. I'll be 65 this summer. And everything is going wrong with me. Anybody else had that? Everything is going wrong. I had knee surgery back in December. It still isn't right. My doctor says it's because you're diabetic, which is another thing that's wrong. And that coupled with the fact that I have asthma makes me particularly susceptible to COVID-19, which I've had and got through without any problem in spite of his dire warnings. But my hands hurt from arthritis. I can barely hold a hammer anymore, let alone a golf club. I'm supposed to be able to retire and play golf. I can't when my hands are like this. Okay? For, your, for you, it might be different. It might not be physical. It might be emotional. It might be, be relational. You might be lonely. You might need some friend in, in your life, some partner to, to work alongside you, some, friend, some brother or sister to come and be a part of you. What do you think gets God's attention in your life right now? And when you know that he does that, when you honestly identify that, will you be honest enough with him to tell him that? Again, God knows what's going on. I have no doubt that God knows everything that I'm thinking and doing and saying long before it happens. 
This is the God that is described by David in Psalm 139, who says that our days are numbered before one of them comes to be. Do you think God doesn't know? He knows. But like a wonderful, loving parent who wants you to learn how to grow up by standing on your own two feet and saying what is on your mind. Like David and like Paul and like many others. God wants you to be honest with him. If God has disappointed you, tell him. Okay? He gets it. And he'll deal with you. If someone else has wounded you and you don't know how to get past him, past it, tell him that. If you're hurting in some way, tell him that. If it's the one thing that you, you can have in your life that will make everything else fall into place, give it to him. That's essentially what the blind man does here, right? I've got this problem. No one else can help me. No doctor, no family member, no friend, no community, no synagogue, no anything can help me deal with this. So he says, I've only got one thing I need, Jesus, and I'm going to give you the opportunity because you're the only one who can do something about it. I'm blind. I need to see. I want to see. And Jesus answers, what's that one thing for you? And will you be honest enough to share it with him? And then when he answers your question, answers your prayer, answers your call for mercy, and God will, maybe not in the time you want or the way you want or through the person you want, but when he answers your prayer, what will you do? You say, took you long enough. I've been blind for all these years, had this problem for all this time. Took you long enough. If you've known it's been in my heart, you should have dealt with it a long time ago. Or do we say, gee, thanks, I feel much better now, God. See ya. And yet that's a lot of what we do in our prayer lives, isn't it? Or we utter one small word of, hey, thank you, God. Now I got to get back to my baseball game or whatever it happens to be. No, we need to be like this man. We need to jump to our feet. We need to, to clear the crowd out. We need to be walking and leaping and praising God. I remember that as a song when my, little, when my girls were little in vacation Bible school about walking and leaping and praising God. And that's what we need to do. Not in our shy, reserved way, like we Presbyterians sometimes like to be. But in an exuberant way, like this blind man remained. Did you find it yet? Did you find the answer to your question? Or did you find the question? I guess that's the most important thing right now. Because Jesus is asking you that question right now. What do you want me to do for you? Well, 
What do you want him to do for you? And you need to tell him about it. Because I can't change anything but my own attitude and my own approach in my discipleship with Jesus. The opportunity, my friends, is here. And we cannot afford to fail to seek the opportunity for change and for healing when Jesus is present. And he is here. What do you want him to do for you and for your family and for Northminster? Share it with someone else. After the service is over, like we did last week, Bonnie and I are going to hang around down here and greet people. If you want to come and share that with us and we can pray with you about it, we'll be glad to do that. But by all means, share it with the Master. Because his next thought and his next word is, is that all? Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the, the, not just the mystery of your word, but the practicality of your word as well. Here we find practical applications from people who are just like us. No, we may not be blind, but we are crippled in some way, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, if not physically. Here, oh Lord, we come to you. Here, we are honest with you. And here is where we tell you where we're hurting most. Here we tell you what you can do to make not just this day, but our whole lives better. And because of that, our whole church and our world better. Oh God, set us free from our doubts about your faithfulness and mercy. Set us free from our doubts about your power. And set us free from our pride that we might truly be rejoicing eternal disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.